Good morning, church. Well, my name is Kiris, and I'm happy to be with you this morning. Let me guess, you're already wondering where my accent is from. Well, I was now born or raised over here. I'm from a beautiful country in East Africa called Ethiopia. I came to the United States uh, when I was 16. I've been here for about eight years. And six of those years, I was an undergrad student and a master's student at Easter. In the time I was at uh, Eastern, I had the opportunity to be part of the Vineyard family, and I've loved every single moment of it. Uh, recently, I've been going on a course with Pastor Joe, and he's given me the opportunity to share with you what the Lord put on my heart, and I'm so excited uh, to be doing just that. Nowadays, people can tell a lot about your hobbies, your character, and what you like to do just from the year you were born. For instance, if you're a baby boomer, you probably need help navigating the newest technology. If you're a millennial, you've grown up so immersed in technology that it has shaped most of your identities. And if you're Gen Z, you spend a majority of your time on TikTok. Since it's my first time speaking, I figured I'll tell you which year I was born so you can get to know me a little bit better. I was born in the 1996, which makes me a millennial. Uh, well, according to Twitter, my generation is responsible for killing off a few things. Millennials are responsible for killing mayonnaise. Millennials are killing golf. Millennials are killing real estate because they spend all their money on avocado toast. Those are all real headlines, I promise you. Well, as I researched more into millennials, I found a more saddening statistics than millennials killing mayonnaise or golf or real estate. I found that millennials and young adults are leaving the church at an alarming rate. In the year 2019, roughly two-thirds attend worship services a few times a year or less. And four in 10 say they rarely or they never go. You see, as teenagers are getting to the young adult stage and as they gain more independence and driver's license or get a new job, it seems like faith or church or matter of fact, even Jesus Christ has less of a priority in their heart. But you see, church, this is not the first time we see a group leaving the church or Jesus. In the scripture that I'll be sharing with you today, you will see a group deserting Jesus. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 6. If you have the physical copy, that works. If not, feel free to use the version app. And if any of those options don't work for you, the scripture will come right behind me. We're going to be in John chapter 6, verse 60 through 69. I'll give you a second to get there. <clears throat> when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Saying, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who don't believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. If you please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, that an opportunity to gather together. Father, we thank you that your spirit is in this room. Father, I pray that I may not speak, but that you may speak through me. Father, the words that we just read are treasures from you. And I hope that as we study it, Father, that you might give us a heart to absorb it. And that we might see God's glory, Christ's mercy, and be led by the Holy Spirit. 
to not just listen to the words, but rather apply them to our lives. So we say, come Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in order to better understand what's going on in our section, we need to trace back a little bit to the beginning of John chapter 6. And even in your personal studies, I encourage you to see a whole context, a whole chapter, instead of just a verse or a specific section. So as we begin our chapter in John chapter 6, we, it kicks off with the famous story of Jesus feeding the multitudes. I say multitudes and not just 5,000 because at that time, only heads of households were being counted. It means if there were 5,000 men, when you add women and children, it adds up to at least being more than 10,000. As we follow through the story, we find in uh, verse 14 that the group who just had their stomach full want to make Jesus a king by force. But Jesus withdraws to be by himself because he was not interested in their approval. Then we go on to a little bit in chapter 6. We find where Jesus was walking on the water. Not when we do like for spring break by the beach, but he was actually walking on the water. <laughs> and he meets his disciples and goes to the other side with them. And the group still follows him. The crowd follows him to the other side, to Capernaum. And that's where we find the majority of the teaching. You see, our section kicked off by saying, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. So in order to understand why it said, this is a hard saying, we need to go back and see his teachings from verse 25 through 59. I want us to start on verse 25. It says, when they find him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And look at Jesus' response. He says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. You see, instead of telling them when he came or even why he came, Jesus tells them why they came. He didn't even answer them. And you wonder why he did that. And it's because they didn't come to him because he's the Son of God and Savior of the world. They just came to him because they wanted more bread and more fish. Think of it like this. Thanksgiving is soon approaching, and you, you, go, you want to enjoy the food, but you want nothing to do with the people that made it for you. See, Jesus felt like they're coming, just they want more fish and more bread. They want nothing to do with me. I'm here to give them eternal life, but they don't want nothing to do with me. You see, church, oftentimes we can learn more from understanding the reason we ask God a question than from the answer to the question itself. Is there a question that you've been wrestling with God and saying, I'm not getting an answer? Sometimes it helps to just sit on it and see, why are we asking God in the first place? Because when we see the motives for our question, sometimes we find the answer in it. As we go on into the teaching, we find in verse 32, where Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They say to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never trust. You see, this is the anchor of the teaching. Jesus is co constantly telling them to get their eyes off the bread that they just had, but in order to focus on the heavenly bread that is right in front of them. He said, believing you means finding all your fulfillment in me. You see, whoever comes to me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And church, this is the question I want to ask you. Is Jesus enough? Let's take the bread and the fish out of it. Is Jesus enough? Not Jesus and the nice car, or not Jesus and our new promotion, or not Jesus and the new home. 
If it was just Jesus himself, nothing added to it, would it be enough to fulfill all our need? Would, do we believe that? Because that's what Jesus is asking them, saying, don't focus on the bread, but focus on the true bread from heaven. You see, as we see this teaching, we can come up with three reasons why the crowd was offended at Jesus' teaching. And the first one is coming to Jesus is more than getting your physical needs met. They came for more bread, but he tells them, I am the true living bread. So when we come to Jesus, we're coming to get more than our physical needs met. The second thing is that Jesus challenged what they knew about religion. Let me take you back to verse uh, 50, uh, 32 again. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he says, it was not Moses who gave you the bread, but it was my father who comes from heaven. You see, they thought Moses gave them the bread, but he said, no, it's my father who gave you the bread. And he's giving even a better bread now that can fulfill all your needs. You see, Jesus was challenging what they knew about religion, and that was not settling well with them. Lastly, Jesus' truth was hard to swallow. You see, when they tell him, sir, give us this bread always, Jesus tells them, unless you eat my flesh or drink my blood, you have no part in you. Look at where it says in verse 58, this is the bread who comes down from heaven, not like the bread of the Father said and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You see, Jesus is telling them, you can't earn the salvation. You see, we're used to doing things to get things. And if we get them freely, we start to question, that's too simple. And for these people, it was hard for them that they didn't need to do anything, but all they had to do was absorb the true bread that was in front of them. They grew up in, uh, in a religious background, going to the synagogues and doing sacrifices. But now Jesus said, all you have to do is accept me and I'm full. And that was very hard for them to swallow. Now we have seen the context and background of our section. I want us to start going into the section for today, which is verse 60 through 69. You see, it, it kicks off by saying, when many of his disciples heard it, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? I want you to pay attention. It doesn't say they did not understand it. Even in other versions, it says, who can accept it? You see, uh, in my undergrad, I studied biomedical science, and for my master's, I did public health, so I've had my fair share of hard courses. And it's not saying these people were having difficulty understanding what they were seeing, it's just they didn't like what they were hearing. And honestly, as I look more, it seems like it's the state of our church today. We feel like we don't like things, so we want to change them. You see, we have the tendency to reject teachings that don't go along with our personal agenda and belief. When we come to the Word of God, we got to let go of all that we know, and we have to come to be changed by it, whether we like it or not, not the other way around. As we go on in the teaching in verse 61, it says, But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? As the crowd was getting offended, you would expect Jesus to say, Okay, I'm offending the people, so I need to stop. He does not. In fact, he says, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? He said, well, you're offended now. What are you going to do when you see me in all glory? And this is a lesson for us because most of us have people we want to share the gospel with, whether it's our work or whether it's our home or in our neighborhoods, and we feel like we are offend them. And what this is telling us is it's better for us to share the gospel with them now and let them be offended than when he comes in all glory because we, we either meet Jesus as a Savior now or we'll meet him as a judge later. And it's better to share the truth now. Then in verse 63, it says, it is the spirit. Before that, though, I want to ask, 
Do you have a friend, a family, a coworker that you want to share the gospel with, that you're afraid that you will offend them? It's better to share the gospel with them now and let them be offended on this day than when he comes in all his glory. In verse 63, it says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that have spoken to you, they are spirit and life. I consider this to be the anchor of his teaching because Jesus is saying, our world is not just about materialistic things, but it's about heavenly things. And he's saying, the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. He said, don't focus on the earthly things, but rather focus on the spiritual things. On verse 64, it goes on to say, but there are some of you who don't believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. There's a question I like to ask when, I'm, when a group of friends or small group of people. And the question is, why do you want to go to heaven? And I want to ask the same question to you. Why do you want to go to heaven? Most of the time, the answer is strange, because I don't want to go to hell. Or because I want a reunion with my loved one or because I'm tired of diabetes and cancer and the war and the news that we see. Don't get me wrong, these are all great reasons. But it's none of them what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is the presence of Jesus and it is from his presence that there is no sickness, that there is no death. It is from his presence that we can reunite with our loved ones when we don't go away, eternity away from him. So I want to ask you, are you wanting to go to heaven for what heaven provides or so that you can be in his presence forever? Jesus knows our motives for following him and if it's not to deny ourselves, pick up the cross and follow him, then he knows we've never truly came because the Father will not let us. The Father will not let his son be used as a commodity because he came to be a way of eternal life. The lesson for us is this. If we are seeking him for the goods, and a state of the goodness of eternal life, then we have not come to him at all. Are you coming to him for the goods, or are you coming to be in his presence for all of eternal life? And then we get to the climax of his teaching. In verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let me help you picture what's happening. Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. And as he's teaching, he sees half of the crowd just leaving. Right as I'm teaching, half of the crowd just walks out. And that was what was happening on Jesus. As he was teaching, the crowd said, we can't hear him. So they left. So Jesus looks to the small, small group of people, the 12 disciples, and he says, do you want to go away as well? And that's the question I want to ask you, church. When everybody around you is leaving and say, this is a hard teaching, who can follow it? Do you want to go away as well? If you're a note taker and you'd like to have a topic for the title, that's my title. Do you want to go away as well? You see, Peter chose to run towards the words of eternal life when others chose to run away from it. Where do you run to when the teaching is hard and life gets difficult? You see, the question is not if, the question is where or to whom. You're going to go somewhere. Are you going to alcohol, drugs, pornography, toxic relationship? What are we going to go to? 
And I'm pleading with you today to say with Simon Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I want to emphasize three points from the section that we just read. And my first point is this. When everyone around you chooses to desert Jesus, stay the course. You'll have close friends, family, favorite preacher, theologian, some people you look up to say, we can't do this, and you'll see them fall away from the faith. The question is, when that happens, stay the course. Don't give up. I would be happy to tell you that people won't quit or won't leave Jesus, but I'll be lying to you because it would happen. The flesh lies to us, and there are people who fall for it, people we look up to. And then when that happens, I want to encourage you to stay the course. The writer of Hebrews were writing to the group of Hebrews, and he was, these people were having a hard time uh, staying with the Lord. They were in danger of drifting. So the writer tells them to encourage them, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you receive what he has promised. And that is what I want to tell you. If you feel like people are deserting and you were tempted to desert away, I say hold on because when you have persevered, you receive what he has promised. And the Bible tells us that no eyes have seen, no ears have heard what the Lord prepared for those who love him. Hold on, so for when you have, you receive the crown of life, and it's much better than anything we could have ever imagined. The second point is this. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. You see, the whole point Jesus is telling them, don't focus on their bread. Focus on the true living bread that will give you eternal life. So Jesus is saying the flesh can't do nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. If you're following Jesus for the sole purpose of materialistic and earthly gain, you'll desert Jesus and fail miserably because that's why the people left, because they wanted more bread and he told them a better bread because it's not what they wanted. So if you're following Jesus just for that purpose, then you'll desert Jesus and fail miserably. There's nothing we can do in the flesh can save church. Baptism doesn't save. Going to church doesn't save. Our daily devotionals don't save. Only the blood of Jesus can all of those are good things, and they help us get close to our Father in heaven. But what can save is only the blood of Jesus. Look what the writer, the Apostle Paul tells to the church in Rome. Romans 8, 6 through 8. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor it cannot. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. The flesh counts for nothing but the Spirit gives life. Lastly, the Word is full of spirit and life. Meditate on it day and night. Look at verse 63 again. It says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. You see that second part, he says, the words that I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Jesus said, I'm the true living bread that you'll have eternal life. And when you ask the question, how does the Spirit give life? He says, it's the Word. It's the Word that gives you life. I'm a huge burger guy. I, I love burgers. It's my favorite food. I want you to picture for a second, what's your favorite portion of food? And then think of it. Do you treasure the Word of God more than your favorite portion of food? I'm pretty sure if I had a burger sitting right by my bed, I'll be. It would be hard to resist. 
But for the most of us, we have our Bible sitting right next to our bed, but we barely take a look at it. And the Bible is telling us it's full of spirit and life, and when we spend time in it, God moves mountains in our life. But you see, the food is meant to be swallowed and the word of God to be obeyed. It doesn't matter if I stare at that burger. If I don't eat it, I'll never be full. And the same with the word of God. If we don't do what it says, if we don't obey it, then we will never see the full impact of God in our life. The power of the word of God is magnified through obedience. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 105. He says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. If I, every time I try to walk in the dark, I find myself falling away. It's just hard. I can't do it. And the psalmist is saying, your word is a lamp for my feet. Picture it. If you walk in the dark, you'll fall away. But if you use the word as a light, as a lamp for your feet, then it guides you. It leads you to where you need to go. And the psalmist is saying it's a lamp for our life. It tells us where to go. It guides us. In the same psalm, he tells us, your word is sweeter than honey for me. It's better than any gold. It gives me power over sin. The psalmist keeps going back to the power of the word of God because he knows what it can do for us. And that's what I want to encourage you to spend time in the word. You see, for Simon Peter, Jesus' words were words of eternal life, words living everything for. He says, from you comes words of eternal life. Where shall we go? What is the word to you, church? You see, when something is important to you, you spend time in it. Uh, I haven't seen my big brother in about four to five years, and every time we're on the phone, we like to joke around, and he says, I love you, and I say, do you really love me? Because if you love me, you'd call me more often. You see, when we spend time, we spend time with the things we love. And if your answer to the question, what is the word to you, is, is that the word is everything to you, then I want to ask you, how much time do you spend in it? Do you remember the young adults were leaving the church because there was a switch in priorities in their life? And I honestly believe most of us don't want to spend time in the Word because there's a priority switch in our life. Or, it, we, or we don't treasure it as our favorite portion of food. New Year is soon happening in about a month or so. And everybody's going to have a New Year resolution. And I want to encourage you for one of them to be that you can go through the Bible in a year. There are excellent plans on the internet, on the Bible app. And you can use that to help you be engaged and study the word throughout the year. Because I promise you, when you spend time in it, it will start to change your life. As I finish up my message, I want to put out an invitation to three groups of people. And the first one is, keep, is you keep saying, this Jesus is the bread of life. He gives us eternal life. But I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. I want to tell you, I was a 16-year-old boy when I came to the U.S., away from family, by myself. I was honestly confused and don't know where I was headed in life. But I made Jesus, and he changed everything. I came from a 15-year-old boy who just made Jesus to preaching the gospel, and that's his goodness. You see, when the storm comes, we have, we, we'll be immovable. We don't move when we have Jesus. And I want you to have that Jesus who he was an anchor who never sings. You see, there's a vacuum in our heart only Jesus can fill. No amount of money, no amount of promotion, no amount of sex, nothing, nothing could ever fill the vacuum in our heart that God 
created to only be filled by the true living bread, Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you, if you have not made this Jesus, to surrender to him today. The second group of people I want to invite is that you know this Jesus, but you're finding it hard to hold on. I get it. I've been there. There are multiple times I say, Jesus, I can't do this anymore. I'm finding it hard to hold on. I want to tell you, hold on. Set aside time each morning to just seek him. Spend time in the word or praying. Talk to your church family. Engage in a small group. Or do the thing you love the most. For me, it's worshiping. I love worshiping. And the more I do it, I feel closer to the Lord. Unfortunately, I'm not gifted at it. But when I sing, I always feel the presence of the Lord close to me. What is the thing that you love that helps you connect to the Lord? I want to tell you, do that again and again. Because our God will never fail. Remember what, we talk, what the writer of Hebrews tell, tells to the Hebrews people. He says, hold on for when you have persevered, you receive the crown of life. And if you're finding it hard to hold on, I want to say, hold on, for when you have persevered, you receive the crown of life. Lastly, I want to talk to the group who feel like they've already deserted him, who say, it's too late for me, I've left Jesus. I feel like I'm one of those who left out when he was preaching. You feel like you've left like the prodigal son, but I have a good news for you. He has his arms wide open and he's waiting for you, he never leaves. He never stops seeking for you. He leaves the 99 looking for you to come back. And he has his arms wide open and he's saying, come to me. I want to close with this verse. Paul tells his prodigy, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Isn't that a beautiful truth? Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity we had studying your words. We thank you that you are the true living bread who fulfills all our need. We thank you that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Father, you're so good. Your mercy is never ending. Your grace is never ending. We cannot outsend your grace, Father, because you sent your son to die for us. Father, let this words that we've studied sink into our heart that it might make all our week or our years different, that we might be changed by it. Father, we ask that your name might be forever glorified and magnified. In the name of Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.